This week is brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become part of their unarmed forces. Brought to you by Daisy May Hatco, the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. Chase, do you ever have those moments where you realize that you think you know how to pronounce someone's last name and then you have to Google it because you're terrified of mispronouncing somebody's last name? Uh, Well, today, actually, it's funny you say that. Uh, I have a guest on my show later on today, and I thought I knew how to pronounce it, but then I began to look up some other interviews and I was way off. So you're in good company today. Okay, good. Because it's tuning, tuning, yep, tuning. tuning. You got it. Okay, so I wasn't wrong. I was just a little incorrect. It's fine. It's okay. Most people, <laughs> most people call me Sharon. They think it's my first name. They're like Sharon. I'm like Sharon. It's Sharon, and it's Kelsey's the first name. So. Sharon, my Sharon. Oh, oh, now that's going to be in my head all day long. Thank you so much for that. And thanks for coming on, dude. So many people know you from the Ever Forward podcast, but they also know you because of your podcast with your brother, your military career, and all of these things in between. And I just want to start really from where I kind of found out about you, if that's okay with you, which was you were U.S. Army. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what you did in the military? So I was actively from 2003 to 2009. I enlisted right out of high school. And um, the plan, I, the job that I chose, the MOS, uh, was in military intelligence. And at the time, they had an offer, a sign-up bonus of, hey, if you commit to us for six years right out of the gate, it's a really high-demand job, takes a lot of training, so therefore we need a longer commitment. Um, they offered me, it was like $20,000 sign-up bonus. They offered me college education, a bunch of stuff. And I was like, cool. I was a kid graduating high school. I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Uh, So it was a pretty appealing offer. And honestly, I was planning on kind of sticking it out. The whole aspect of 20 years and then retiring was pretty appealing to me at the time. And so uh, I I was like, yeah, let me just commit to the longest contract I can right now. Let's lock (laughs) in these deals. Got some cool promos, Uncle Sam. And um, yeah, and then so that's what I did. And then I went off to, uh, it's called the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. It's like the military language academy. All branches of the US forces go there. We train a lot of uh, international forces and specialists, we'll say. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're there to learn a language, to apply it in the intelligence community, that's where you go. So that's what I did. I went and learned Russian, didn't speak a lick of it. I I still don't know how and why they, they, they picked that for me. There's a series of aptitude tests that we take when you enlist to even get into this job. And somehow I passed somehow they're like, you need to learn Russian. So that's what I did. That's what I did. I studied Russian for the next year, maybe like 14 months or so, 14, 15 months. 
And then I was a Russian intelligence specialist, Russian linguist for the next several years of my contract. That's wild to me. When I think about that, I was kind of going through all your stuff and I saw Russian and I, I thought that was a really strange choice, especially GWA was really going on mm-hmm. and it was popping. And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, Arabic, uh, you know, Pashto, Farsi, I'm thinking those That's types of languages. Right. I mean, either way, I think you could pull off either nationality. I feel like if you just give yourself a real <laughs> thick Russian accent, people would trust me like this. And I stay very white. People would never oh. know I'm not Russian. Or if I just, you know, grow the facial hair, get more tan, I could definitely pull off Middle Eastern, especially my wife's Persian. So they're like, you two, you're both from Iran. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're like, but I could be. And that's yeah, all that matters. Be. If I want you, if I want to, to think you, and I am. Exactly. And that's a beautiful thing when you can (laughs) blend into all different societies. But Russian was a really fascinating one to me. And then I thought to myself, I mean, you'd be you're gray right now. I'm surprised you haven't been called back. I mean, anybody who's anybody that's dealt with Russia is being called back. I don't know if you've currently heard this morning, but apparently our protests are because of Russia and Canada. I I actually had a friend text me um, a friend in like this longtime client. And uh, he's active duty army now. And uh, he's like, hey, you can probably guess where I'm going. Um, just want to let you know I'm going to be off the radar for a little bit. I was like, yeah. Cool. Right. Well, my friend, talk soon. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. I actually, so I'm still fluent, uh, a little rusty here and there, but I still speak it as much as I can. And uh, I, I love the language aspect. I, I think it's so cool that we can just speak and literally just make noises out of our mouth in different tones and people understand what we're saying. So language is very appealing to me. I picked up a little bit of Farsi, like I said, being married to a Middle Eastern. Um, my wife, she's a first generation Iranian American. So her whole family speaks Persian Farsi. And um, yeah, and honestly, to, to answer your question there or a comment, I, I, I couldn't even, and I'm sure we'll get into it in my story, but um, the status of my separation uh, medical retirement um barred from reenlistment basically i, I got flagged uh, so even if i wanted to go back in i couldn't but you know what desperate times call for desperate measures and there's a waiver for everything in the military so i'm sure if they really wanted to they could uh, come knocking on my door and ask to have me come back oh of course i know that's the thing with medical releases that's where i was kind of i'm um, see you I, this is why I love interviewing other podcasters as well, <laughs> because they can follow a thread like a champion and they just take it around and I don't even have to guide. It's such a brilliant We're here to thing. Dance. We're here to do the pod dance for sure. I know it's, it's brilliant. Um, so what I was going to get to next was, so you were medically released from the military. I, I don't know how touchy of a subject that is for you or something that you were fairly open about, but can you give me a little bit of why that happened for you? Yeah, so I, I, I say that I kind of have two versions, two ways to answer that story. Okay. One is uh, the long version. And um, the second is basically I got injured, got banged up and got deep non-deployable. Um, cool. And so I wound up having to have both my hips reconstructed. Uh, I was training for as a pre-deployment training and uh, wound up suffering some injuries. Uh, tore my hamstring, L4, L5 vertebrae, kind of went one way. The rest of my back went another way. Uh, suffered major trauma to my entire midsection and ultimately led it ultimately led to me needing major reconstructive surgeries in my femurs and um so i was i was a patient for almost about the year year and a half the last year and a half of my contract i was pulled from my unit put into a medical hold unit just underwent surgery um hospital bed rest um quarters um completely immobilized rehab learn how to walk again 
then go back and do it all over again. So once I could kind of like get upright and mobile again, after about seven, eight months of rehab and kind of rebuilding myself, I would go back and do the other side. And then after that, they kicked me out. Um, I was just non-deployable. Um, was could no longer carry out the warrior tasks and drills that we have to maintain our you know, deployability status to maintain certain standards in our own MOS. Um, but really the bigger reason why all that happened was I, like I said, I was a Russian linguist. I was doing my thing in the intelligence community and I really enjoyed it. I really liked it, but I felt the itch to kind of go, you know, go over there. And I, I was really influenced by being in a poor mental health in that period of my life. I saw a lot of money opportunities. I saw really a lot of opportunity to not come home. I had really kind of given up on caring about living. I was going through this, this death of my father and I just, I wasn't handling it. I wasn't processing it. I, at 19 years old, I buried my father after being in the military for about a year, uh, trying to follow in his footsteps. It's a family legacy. Like he was a big reason why and kind of helped me make the decision to join the military and um, then all of a sudden, my hero, my, my, my guide was gone. And I struggled with it for a couple of years. And ultimately, I just decided, you know what, let me just, let me try to, to put myself in harm's way. Let me, you know, if I come home in a box, great. If I come home and my family gets this 400k life insurance payout, great. Um, I just, I just didn't really care. I wasn't processing it, like I said, and I just needed an outlet. And I thought that was the best way for it. And whether I came home alive or not, it was just, you know, up in the air. And so I was volunteering for a deployment and last minute it got pulled on me because they were holding out for a higher rank. And so that one, you know, got yanked off the table. So I was like, cool, note taken, let me go get promoted. So I worked my ass off. I got, I made uh, E6 and actually just under five years in the military as a staff Good sergeant. Good for you. And yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I worked my ass off, but there's... The underlying message in there is, you know, motivation is motivation. And if you have a reason to do something and you get it done, cool, but really understand that reason. And the reason why I was working so hard to get this promotion so that the next time was a yes for this deployment option, because all of my deployment opportunities were on a volunteer basis. And it meant you had to fit very, very specific criteria. And this was the one thing that I was missing. So I got promoted was going through these trainings and was just doing anything, everything I could so that the next step would be a deployment. And um, yeah, I, I was on this, this war game training and just a few days in actually, and uh, wound up going through the injuries I just described and it just snapped me up quite literally. And so I was on this path to, to, to go downrange, to deploy, but for the wrong reasons. And, um, you know, it just wasn't in the cards for me. And, you know, I look back now and I, what I went through really, really sucked. Like it really, really did, you know, for like a year and a half to just be in a hospital, in a bed, in and out of rehab, in and out of pool therapy. Um, you know, I was always in between either a wheelchair or a crane, a, a crane, a cane, or like a, even a walker sometimes, uh, relying on other people for daily functions and everything. I had no purpose. I had no job. I most of the time didn't even have to go to formation, you know, because I, I was so immobilized that in a, it was in the special unit where it's just like you just heal, you just recover, which was great. But I was just going crazy. I was going crazy. And so it really put the reason why I was there in the front of my mind for, for months and months and months and months. So not only was I physically rehabilitating, but I was having to finally 
begin to deal with the death of my father, begin to deal with this traumatic event that just happened in my life and come to terms with the fact that Chase, at the end of this, your, your dream, your, your idea, your goal of staying in the military of doing 20 years, that entire life plan is off the table. It's just a matter of time when you get to a point where your doctors are like, okay, he's, he can walk, he's good enough, but not good enough for us. So then like, what am I going to do at 24 years old? I got to start my life again. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. Yeah. So I, I love when they tell you, oh, you're done. Your life yeah. is over. You will never work again. You're like, I'm 19. What is yeah. happening in this world? It's interesting to hear you talk about it the way that you do, though, because so many people don't acknowledge why they joined in a real way or they don't acknowledge why they wanted to deploy in a real true way. They kind of have this fairy tale in the back of their mind that I'm going to go deploy. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go help all these people. And when you're young like that, we, we so often are really enabled to look within ourselves and really understand our decision-making process. And it's, it's fascinating to me that you had um, an individual to help you like your father to kind of usher you through that process. So many SF guys that I've spoken with now that I'm really finding it's a similar story. It's either, you know, family is military. Dad was military. They, they had good advice from dad. They had a structure they knew how to train um, in preparation for. And then you hear from other individuals who were like myself, who had no idea really what the military was, had no idea what I was walking into, didn't really know why I was doing it, but I was doing it. And I had the same uh, idea that it was okay if I died over there because X, Y, and Z would happen. They'd be taken care of. And at least it would be that sort of situation. So to hear you speak so openly and honestly about it and for what it is, is a little bit more refreshing because you are acknowledging there wasn't a real, I wanted to deploy, but the, the understanding of what that meant is, is it holds so much more weight than people realize, you know, wanting mm -hmm. to deploy, what does that mean? And I've recently had to look at like, what, what does that mean? Wanting to deploy. And is it because we're fed all this information that we should want to deploy or that we, we should have that in the back of our mind that we're going sure. to deploy. I mean, for you, when they were, when they were training you and you were doing all of these things, you were, because you were in intelligence, you weren't a grunt. You weren't, you were dealing with some serious things. You were dealing with intelligence level. You know, the clearance was different than so many for you. Did that concern you make you uneasy? Did you have any sort of doubts in your ability to do and function in that job? You know, interesting question. Um, so during that time, like I enlisted the height of Operation Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom. I, I, I distinctly remember being on three day pass and watching live on TV when we were having like, I think it was literally like a hotel party. It was it was just some dumb young soldier <laughs> shit. And um, we turned on the TV and that's when um, I believe it was the fourth ID found Saddam like in his hole. And it was just this moment, like I literally just got goosebumps when I said it out loud because it was like this something clicked that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. It was this kind of a, this weird moment. And I had multiple moments throughout the rest of my career in intelligence of like, yes, Chase, this is what you signed up for. This was the job you were offered. This is what they're telling you you're good at. And this is the job that you are good at. I was able to execute. I was doing a lot of unique things, um, you know, air quote here around the world. 
Uh, my missions directly supported a lot of initiatives around the world, you know, especially with, with Russian studies. But for, even before leading up to that, I worked a lot of missions supporting South America, Central America, Mexico, US, like drug trafficking, human trafficking. And so I was quite literally hearing the evils of the world on a daily basis. And the shit that you see and hear in movies about those types of things is, is like a drop in the pan of like what is really going on in the Rack world. Is that surface. Yeah. And so to be 18, 19, 20 years old and to quite literally be becoming your own human being for the first time. I just left home. I mean, so many people can relate. You, you leave home or you stay at home, you get a job, you go to college, you kind of just become your, a young adult. That coupled with all of these things going on in the world, I, I kind of felt like I was in a pressure cooker just because of where I was, just the job I was doing. And then I would hear these kind of stories from people who would come back from these volunteer assignments, from these deployments that would basically take our exact same skill set of understanding, disseminating, interpreting, interpreting uh, information intelligence, and then applying it to boots on the ground, but then they would just go do that, you know, wherever needed in the world. And so I felt this kind of like this, this duality, this, this pull of, is what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to be doing, does this count enough to be a soldier? Uh, and then, you know, versus like the things that I was hearing and seeing on a, on a daily basis from people coming back from downrange. And, um, and so then all of that coupled with the lack of emotional intelligence I had at the time to, to process grief. I mean, my father died, he died from a terminal illness, this horrible, just like slow death. And immediately after, luckily I was home on emergency leave and I was with him his last couple of days of being alive. But how do you go from, you know, losing your hero at 19 years old? Like my father was my best friend. And actually, I almost tried to get out of the military when he was sick, but he walked me through that decision as well to stay in. Um, so how do you process that while also going back to you said, working in the highest security clearance zone job in the, the world, in the country at the time, to have all these other things going on? around the world that are making you question what you're doing and is it good enough? And then on top of that, you're trying to just become your own human being. I mean, I was just, it was a matter of time before I was just going to blow up. And um, I'll never forget the, there was this moment I was doing my birthday month checklist where we had to like update all of our, all of our stuff, like military admin stuff. And it was at that moment, that month when they upped the life insurance plan to $400,000 for us soldiers. And this light bulb went off. I was like, okay, cool. There it is. Like, you know, there's my reason. Like if I come back, cool. If not, then, you know, my family's going to be taken care of. And so I just saw it as this easy out. And so, I mean, I kept doing my job, but I kept feeling like I'm not doing my job enough. There's this other version of me. There's this warrior version of me that, yeah, I'm doing the Intel stuff, but I mean, quite literally every other week, if not every week, we went through very intense warrior drills. We were always on training. We were always doing FTXs. We were always in support of, of other groups coming back. And so again, it was just, hey, you're this version, but you're you know training to be this other version. And then I never got to be that other version. So I was like, fuck it. Let me just, let me do it. Let me go see and finally put, you know, the rubber to the road, so to speak. It's an interesting thing when you, when you talk about, um, was I doing enough? Was I, I'm air quoting if you're listening, you know, you should be watching instead. So 
don't, but I'm air quoting. And so my point is, is people talk about this not being enough if they've never done a deployment or if they've never had boots on the ground in one of those countries that we've been actively in. And I, you know, I'd argue the more intelligent people are the ones that don't put the boots on the ground. <laughs> like, I feel like there's a reason why you guys don't go do and hang out in the holes with us. There's a, there's something about being expendable when your brain, if you, you can write tests, right. Or you can't, you know, reverberate information, right. Or you just don't have the, the eye for intelligence. You don't have those things. There's, there's a job for everyone in the military, but it, I, in my opinion, and I know I don't need to tell you this, but it doesn't make somebody less of a soldier if they don't end up deploying and using that skill. I think so many now who are in the military, I've heard from in Canada, the United States, all across the world that, you know, now that Afghanistan and Iraq are over, you know, I've trained all my life for this. I've done all this work for this. It's all, has it been for nothing? And the idea that somebody says that, that the idea of going to take other humans' lives is the definition of being a good soldier or being, you know, a deployed soldier, that, that's gross. I, I think we should hold ourselves to a higher standard. I think we should acknowledge that we should be using our brains more. We should be, we should holding those up that are in intelligence and that are doing that kind of SOCOM work and that are doing the CSIS work in Canada and things like that. Um, but to hear you say that and kind of describe it the way you did, I think that's going to resonate with so many people. I really truly do. There's so, there's so much uncertainty in the world in the past two decades that individuals are really struggling with where they fit and and I'm really fit and I know I can go deploy and do the job, but is that really the right thing for you? Is that really the right, yeah. the right steps for your life and the progression and the path you want to go down? Um, it, it's a tricky part. I'll say too there, Kelsey, is that um, mm -hmm. at least uh, in, in the U S army, we have yeah, U S army and some other branches. We actually in uniform walk around and you can quite literally see if you've been deployed or not, depending on your uniform, certain patches, depending on where, where it is. So like our unit patch in the army, the, wherever unit you're assigned to, you wear on your left, your left shoulder and you, your last deployed, <clears throat> excuse me, the last unit you deployed with goes on your right shoulder. So oh. you're literally a walking billboard as to like, you've been deployed, you haven't, you're not a real soldier, you're a real soldier. And that's kind of my interpretation, you know, that not everybody says or believes that, but I can honestly tell you that's how I felt for a long time. And that was honestly what I, another component I was looking for was I felt in my uniform, I was walking around incomplete. I was walking around uh -huh. in some circles, in some environments, like I, that was being looked at and judged. Now, whether that was real or not, that was my interpretation. My interpretation is my perspective. My perspective is my truth. Um, and so I felt like I needed that and that was a whole other aspect to it. But, you know, I appreciate what you just said there about the whole intelligence community, because I can tell you, I can't really tell you uh, a lot of <laughs> a, a lot of things that I did and a lot of things that intelligence community members do kept you alive, kept yeah. other people alive. Yeah. So many things that I did, the 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 accolade, the the shoulder on the or excuse me, the patch on the shoulder um, was an encrypted email from a source saying, hey, thank you. Uh, you influenced foreign policy. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you. Like this was saved because of that. And that's it. And then no one will ever acknowledge any of that ever again. And so it's it's kind of this, you know, I didn't really fully know what I was getting myself into. Who knows? It's 17, 18 when you enlist. Um, that kind of work, that kind of workflow, that kind of feedback, um, that kind of things, those kind of things you're going to be exposed to. But it, it's totally different. But and this is where, you know, I hope 
all different branches of military and different sects underneath that can we can just have more communication to better understand how we all fully support each other because we're all working on the same team here. Yeah, it's interesting. I love that you kind of slide sex in there because in the United States military, that's like a heavy conversation. And I've had individuals on where we've we've gone back and forth because I'm I'm very vocal in my stance and how I believe the United States military runs their females. And it's that there should be one standard and one standard only. And I don't just, I, I don't, I don't agree with the double standard. I don't agree with the separate fitness. I don't agree with any of it. Um, and that's only because I've had firsthand experience as to on boots on the ground and, and pulling bodies and knowing that I'm five foot and 104 pounds. Okay. So the round <laughs> I shoot is the same. So it's like yeah. shooting me out of a can. There's a common sense aspect to it where you have to acknowledge that there are differences in, 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 in genetics and in DNA and the way our bodies work, but it doesn't mean you can't do the job. If you can do the job, you can do the job. I yeah. digress. My point moving forward with the, with intelligence, it, it, it's, it would boggle my brain if somebody actually legitimately said you are not a soldier because you were in intelligence. If anybody understood how the military works or how we move people or how we gather intel or how... I mean, the Afghan pullout, for example, do you think most of those people were moved by the military? Please. They were moved by signal with friends. Like, come on. Intelligence, human intelligence is the, is the key to survival on the battleground. It is the, it is the reason we are able to move from point A to point B without getting blown up. It's common sense. So I just needed to make that really clear. If anyone's like, Mm. intelligence is intelligence. No, they're not a clerk. No, no, no. Clerks have their space. They do their paperwork. Intelligence is a totally different ball game. It Completely. Is. It is. It absolutely is. But um, I, I don't know how uh, in, in, in your experience, how this went, but despite the job that you have, regardless of your MOS, um, we still have to maintain certain universal soldier skills. Correct. And so it was kind of like, hey, do this job. But we also need to make sure you're trained for this other job at any given moment that you can pick up and be that other person and do that other job. So honestly, to this day, and I've been, I got out in 2009. So it's been what over 11 years now I've been out. I, it's weird to describe, not, not to knock anybody else's experience and you experience when you're in, in a, a new room, a new environment. Um, PTSD and past experiences are no joke. I, I am diagnosed PTSD for different reasons. Um, when I'm out in public, when I'm in a room, when I'm in any kind of environment where there's multiple people, I'm trying to like process what's going on. Um, I am going through what I would do should there be an altercation. I am still going through the exact same things. And you know why a big part of that? Well, I was trained that way, but also there is still to this day, I'm 36 years old. I got out of the army at 24. Still to this day is a 36-year-old medically retired veteran who only worked in intelligence that is looking for the fight. And ask anybody in my life, they'll tell you I'm not a fighter. Chase is not a fighter. I've never been in a fight a day in my life. Like I don't believe that's always necessary. There are very select reasons and times when and where that should apply. But there's still a part of me because I know that's what I was trained for. 
So being trained at such an elite level as your country's military, to have these things drilled into you that are still for me right now, muscle memory, like I've told my wife a million times, I can dissect and break down exactly how to take apart and rebuild my M16 in about 30 seconds. Right. And just like what to do in a, in a room in a certain situation. There's still a part of me, the warrior part of me that was trained, that was never called to the front, that is still looking for that opportunity. And I'm always just dissecting what I would do, how I, how I would take this person out, how I'd move this person out of the room, how I'd find safety, how I would call for backup, but all these different things, uh, because that part of me was was developed, but never tested. Do you think that's why you are so successful in what you do now? Ooh, interesting question. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I think I'd be a fool to say that any, if not all parts of my military experience do not have a direct influence into what I do as a human being today and how I conduct business and even creativity. Um, because yeah, in the last five years, being self-employed, being a creative, if you will, it has meant for me constantly seeking new avenues, constantly seeking new opportunities, reevaluating. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I have um, with, with my team or my wife, even myself, just like, all right, have a tactical pause. Let's kind of re regroup. Let's see what's going on, what's working, what's tactical not, pause. areas for sustainment, areas for improvement. And so it's these little like check-ins that I have with myself and my business and, you know, everything that, yeah, absolutely. I, I think have been crucial, have been instrumental to just figuring out what the hell it is that I have to offer. Um, where are the, you know, where's contact? Is it coming in front, left, back, right, whatever? Like, where do we need to plug the holes? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I still fall back in some of those military SOPs and just daily living, but damn sure my business. Oh yeah. For business, I feel like the reason I brought that up is because it, that's what it seems like for you. And for, again, I keep generalizing, but these people I'm having conversations with, uh, they're, they're tier one, they're, they're people that were ex-military and they all are successful in business, all of them in some way, shape or form on different levels. And to me, at least in the veteran community, it seems like the people that come into business outside of the military, there's not, not going to be successful. They, they know how to find ways around situations in unconventional ways that you would never have thought if you just, in my personal opinion, went to business school and said, well, this is how something goes wrong. These are, these are the things that you can go to. And if you don't have any of those solutions, well, you're fucked. I don't think that's true. And I think you're seeing that more than ever as the GWA wars have ended and we're about to embark onto World War III, we've got a nice little, ga a little gap here where Canada's going through tyranny and the rest of the world is just kind of waiting to see how the world shakes out. And you've got entrepreneurs that are, that are seeking bigger and better and they're doing it in a way that I'm honest, I've never seen anything like it. It's coming from within the community and not just in the sense of business growth, but you're seeing it in, in the sense of, of mental health growth. You're seeing it in the sense of changing legislation for mental health and really bringing things like psychedelics to the forefront. It's taking veterans from within the community to go, hey, we need to do something. We need to change something, but they're not just doing it. They're, they're doing it. Like, I mean- I was talking with um, some of the guys from Black Rifle the other day, and I was like, you know, what's weird is a dad at my school, my son's school, he's a vet and you can tell, right? Stature, demeanor, 
black rifle hoodie gives it all away. <laughs> it's one of those, but I think it's just him and I were the only ones in the community. And, um, he looked at me on Thursday and he goes, you know, it feels like all veterans won. When you see companies get successful, when you see them grow to the, to the extent in which some of these have, you go, it feels like veterans won. They've won something. They, they've been acknowledged on a global scale. They've, it gives people below, I want to say below, that maybe are just starting businesses or just getting out of the military or just trying to find their way. We've got better examples than we've ever had. Oof. And it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Um, and it's, it's a most necessary thing mm -hmm. because I'm sure you can attest to this and your personal experiences in, in your own veteran community. That transition out is we are still fucking up. We are Constantly. losing, <laughs> we're losing people unnecessarily, in my opinion, in the transition, because what happens when you join the military? Days, weeks, months, years of training and hours and resources get poured into you for your job, for maintaining that team, for accomplishing that mission, whatever to do. But what happens, you know, in my case, in any medical case, is like, okay, uh, you got a really bad boo boo. Uh, we can't use you anymore. So, quite literally, overnight, like one day I'm a soldier with a support system, six years in the can, in the making, worked through the ranks, did all of this. The next day, all right, Sergeant Shuni, uh, sign out here. Um, you know, let us know where you're your forward. kit. Exactly. Like, move on. I'm like, okay, cool. That is where, like, by the grace of God or by whatever was going on in my mind and my heart at that time, that was the moment that could have broken me. Because to have such an affinity for a calling, to have such daily purpose, to have such training, to have such camaraderie, brothers and sisters, a support system for anything and everything you need in your life. And then overnight, that is gone. Now, I know in certain situations, like, yeah, you might have some community here and there. I'm just, I'm, maybe I'm being a little extra, but- I don't think you, no, 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 I, I'm going to stop you. I don't think you are. I'm going to interrupt you. I do that. I don't think you are. And I think it's, it's wrong to, to say that. And, and let me tell you why. If, if you were so being so extra, we wouldn't be seeing the, the epidemic of suicides within like, what is it, two years of leaving the military. We wouldn't see the homeless population in veterans skyrocket. We wouldn't see the opioid epidemic happen with veterans. You wouldn't see this because there would be a community there to stop this. The fact of the matter is there isn't. If you're not tapped in to certain things, certain programs, there just isn't. And it's still like that today. Two of my best friends that I served with, um, one was, uh, was a, a medical discharge as well. The other, he just separated, but, um, you know, I can't even really speak to it um, because who knows what he was going through, but right. both ultimately took their own lives. And it like just breaks my heart because there's no reason. There's no reason for that to have happened. And it's, it's that transition where we lose people. It's the transition where we lose them in terms of their mental health. We don't provide enough physical rehabilitation for certain people. We don't even provide just like a, a tier system of, hey, here's an entire support system, regimented structure for how you live, how you do everything to, okay, just go do whatever the hell you want. It doesn't work that way. Behavior change needs that kind of reverse training. 
Um, and, you know, especially with, with benefits, with education, with, with healthcare, with hell, even just having somebody to go get a, cu- a cup of coffee with. I mean, could we go from team units to lone wolves? No, that's not, that's not how it works. Um, and, and so, I mean, I, the, my whole point in saying this is because I love what you were saying there about how veterans are winning with all of the entrepreneurship and social media and podcasters and Black Rifle and, you know, all these other, you know, YouTubers and, and new, these new influencers that are creating new missions for themselves and creating new teams and new tasks for themselves. And just they're finding a way to drive on that is ultimately giving them purpose again. But I think the most important purpose and the most perennial purpose because it's for themselves and from themselves and then when you and i can see that in another veteran kicking ass and taking names and getting a fucking paycheck at the same time and serving a greater calling like that is that is the mission that i am here to continue to support and i will always support somebody else doing the same thing and it's fuel fuck is it ever fuel yeah. god damn you know what it did it showed other people that this is possible and it's not yeah. possible on like a small scale it's like a it's like a i'm i'm going to take this and i'm going to run over everyone else with it because i can and not mm-hmm. because in a cruel way but in a hey i worked for it i deserve it and i think there's so many veterans that are doing that with with I'm really in the philanthropic world. So I, I really look at, you know, heroic hearts, um, project. I look at, uh, veteran solutions. I look at, you know, honor house. I look at all these different organizations doing this work and go, who's implementing the most change and how are they doing it? And how do we continue to help support and grow those people so that they can feel, they can feel like they have people behind them again, right? They have, they have a support network. They have their brothers and sisters. They, they can make the call and, I think as soon as you start to see vets kind of speak openly about their experiences, what they're struggling with, what they want to achieve, all that does is start to just put it out to the universe. And I'm a super woo woo person. Mm -hmm. So I'll touch that with a 10 foot pole all day long. Give it to me. I'm all about that woo. And I think if you give people a chance to see it's achievable, my God, you spark it in everyone and everyone. Yeah, it's drive is the most contagious thing in the world, I think. And it's really unique, regardless of how you separate from the military. Um, that is the moment where we need to have this the switch flips. That is where the mindset needs to be instilled that, like in my case, all right, soldier, you are broken. You are no longer physically worthy of being this version. So what did I do? I ran the complete opposite direction. When I, when I left base, I signed off. I had my wheelchair strapped to the roof of my SUV, left base, drove home from Texas to Virginia, two weeks later enrolled in a college undergraduate program for exercise science. Good for you. I had to sign up for classes with my freaking mom because I'm hobbling around on a cane to study the human body and exercise science. Like that makes no fucking sense. But I said, fuck you. Um, I will not take these limitations. And also I had, I had a fair amount of, of fear, God honest fear in me from what happened with my father. Now it was a terminal illness. It wasn't hereditary, but I was just losing him to something like that. So he was 43, 44 when he passed, put oh, the fear of God in me to like do everything I could to live a healthy life. That coupled with being so broken that I couldn't be the thing that I wanted to be most in life lit a fire in me, but it was a choice. Like I, I had to choose to light that fire. And so I, I went and got my undergrad in exercise science. 
I got my master's in health promotion. I got all these certifications. I worked my ass off to work in the field that I shouldn't be doing. I left with the wheelchair on the roof of my car and I now deadlift 440 pounds. Like, I saw it that. It doesn't make any sense. But you, you know, know, it's an example it of what sense, I need though. to do for my life and for every other veteran out there who is told what they can or cannot do. Right. And it does make sense to me though. It makes sense to me because you're a thought out driven individual. It seems like you were like that before the military. It seems like that's been a hereditary thing. If anything, you got that's hereditary. It seems like you've got the drive aspect. You've got the want to do better and be better because you know that you deserve better for not only yourself, but those that you surround yourself with. And so many people have this, uh, this, this misunderstanding, I think, of like what it means to walk into a room and what you bring when you walk into that room and the energy that comes with you when you walk into that room. And so many people are quick to have a bad day and just take it out on everyone without even realizing they're taking it out on anyone. So I think for you, you're very conscious of how you make people make people feel. You're conscious of your actions and your movements and how those ripple effects out. And I think that's because that's intelligence, right? That's, that's it right there. Everything I do has a cause and has a reaction. And if you are, if you are eating shitty, you know, there's going to be a cause and a reaction. You understand if you don't go study, you don't start taking the initiative to better your life. You're going to end up just staying in that wheelchair. So I think you had some, you know, some great things given to you from your parents that maybe you didn't really tap into until you needed to tap in. Um, so that going into the schooling thing, so you, you went the school route, you decided, fuck it. One degree is not enough Two, three, let's just be the best at everything I can be <laughs> at. So was it strictly just your dad? You wanted to be healthy. You wanted to know how to do it. You wanted to prevent that. Or was it that you wanted to also influence others and, and help them the way your dad helped you? Um, I appreciate that question. And I can say, in the beginning, I think it was more the latter because I was so latched on to this, this, this version of my father, you know, the hero, the leader, the, the, the loved one in our community. And he was, you know, I, I'm from a very small town in Virginia and he was well known. I mean, we had maybe like a hundred people, I'm downplaying a little bit, but he was, <laughs> he was beloved by many Right. to, to, to have one experience with my father was to have a lifetime of experiences. Um, oh, that's beautiful. And, but just to paint that picture even more, this memory that I will always have uh, in the funeral procession, uh, you know, me, my stepmom, my family were, you know, my brothers, my sister, we're all in the front of the vehicle. And I remember turning back and just looking out the rearview mirror or the rearview window. And like I said, I'm in a small town. And as far as I could see the road, the turn, the procession, the like, the, the police escort, as far as I could see, were people in line to come be the last moments with my father, to pay their respects, to come to the ceremony. And I was just like, holy shit. Like we had every nurse that served him in the hospital for months, every nurse. If they just popped in for a minute to like give us a hug and leave, like they had such an impression that they felt compelled enough to come to take their lunch break to come to his funeral. Um, and so like, that was very meaningful for me. And that's what I latched onto. I, I think we, we search so much. We have good relationships with our family, with our parents. We kind of search to find meaning in our life through the lens of what we see them do with theirs. And so that's what I was after. I was after 
community and let me just go, you know, let me get plugged in again and let me just, you know, serve others. Um, and especially in this kind of physical manner of, you know, being a personal trainer, being a health coach there, that's of service still. But it wasn't until years later, I can honestly say through a lot of self-work and, you know, you said the, one of my favorite words lately, psychedelics earlier, through use of psychedelics to kind of really reprocess what actually was my mission, what actually was my drive through all of that. Um, that first part, you know, definitely came later. Um, but in the beginning, yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to, I needed a purpose. I needed something. And uh, so that's what I did. And it turns out I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, I honestly just started school not knowing where it was going to take me. And then, like I said, I fell in love with it, had a great internship experience and just wound up working it and uh, kept kind of just going back to school and kept going back for certifications and, and thinking that that's what I needed to do to just keep kind of climb that ladder. And um, I loved what I was doing in the industry, but just the whole I love what he did as a job, but the business side of things was just like, to put it lightly, draining my soul. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. uh, that's when I was like, I'm out and, you know, had to kind of test my own, my own limits as an entrepreneur. But that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Sometimes people are not meant to work for other individuals. And I think that's the difference is you get, you get people who join the military and they are most often the type A personality, if they're going into a certain trade. So you can kind of see a trajectory happening here. It's like, if it was a military, I was definitely going to be a cop. Like, you know, you get the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be the yeah. one or the other. And so it's, it's nice to see that though, because entrepreneurship is something that I've had to take on, excuse me, in the past six years in a way that I didn't, I didn't know what that word even meant before. I didn't, uh, no, I come from a long family of truck drivers. We, you know, we, the, nope. So when I figured <laughs> out that something was going to have to give and that the idea of working for somebody else, again, it made me physically ill. I mean, you know, when you're medically released from the military, there's a not restrictions, but maybe when they're trying to retrain you or you're getting out, like there's, there's protocols and things you got to follow paperwork. You have to do things you're not supposed to do. There's definitely a little bit of a different yeah you know, yeah. a different way of looking at things. And I'm, I'm really glad to see that you succeeded in school because something I do, I do see is a lot of veterans who come out, who go into post-secondary struggle a lot, whether it's the environment, whether it's the, the ability to focus on a task, whether it's the, they get triggered by individuals in the school system and they're just dealing with young you know, 17 year olds where the, you know, you can't blame somebody for the worst day that they've ever had is their coffee being cold. You know, you can't blame yeah. them for that, but you sure as hell can feel it and get frustrated with it real quick. Yeah. When I was the old man on campus being 24 enrolling in, you know, freshman classes with quite literally 17 and 18 year olds rolling in in pajamas and pissed yeah. because they spill their coffee. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Why are you dressed like that? Sit down. Like, it's just, all these you're bringing back so many inner monologues i have <laughs> like your worst day is your worst day sure but like right. you know try doing a live fire with this <laughs> yeah like let's just be real you you suck at life right now it's fine um i know because i've had this conversation with a friend of mine iggy um he's in harvard right now and he's studying neuroscience and he's you know Better? army rate yeah army ranger wow. purple Super heart nice. recipient just badass you should talk to nick um he is one of my I met him on my first Aya experience and he's one of my pack members for a reason. And my God, I'm going to talk to you for hours. So we're going to go, this is going to go a little longer. I need to apologize. In I'm advance. Good. I, I got time. I got time. Okay, good. Cause this is where I wanted to go next is 
I want to move into the idea of uh, psychedelics. I have listened to your show before. I'm not going to be the person who says I haven't because I have. There is one episode in particular that I found quite useful for daily things. And I'm going to give you the long story as to why I found that useful. I deal with cops a lot, not in a bad way. I, this studio is beside a training facility for an ERT team. And I also deal a lot because we deal in the mental health world with first responders. What I'm seeing right now, and I'm sure what you're seeing is a struggle for individuals to calm their nervous system, to bring it the fuck down. Cause everyone is just on the edge of just cracking right now. And I had an incident where a cop came to my door, just my God, if you understand energy, if you've ever used psychedelics, you can feel your, okay, well, there's a lot going on there today. And by the end of the conversation, I had him doing breathing exercises, put a bracelet on his wrist and hugging me and crying and saying, I need some help. This, this is a vet turned corrections turned cop. So there was some stuff. There's a lot of stuff there, Chase. And one of the episodes you did, I believe it was episode, I don't remember the guy's name episode, I think 551. And it was on about decreasing anxiety with breathing techniques. Max Gomez. God, that was a great episode because the functionality of that episode. So I've shared that now an exorbitant amount of time because there's so many, you know, you're so, so welcome. You don't have to thank me because I think the key from it was you gave a platform to somebody to explain how to move through stress and trauma when they can just be standing on their feet. You gave them a functional tool that was something that they could adapt into their daily life while they were on the job. And that could hopefully prevent them from accidentally pulling a trigger or accidentally reacting in a way that they shouldn't. And I think that is key when it comes to dealing with vets, first responders, and just the world right now. So for when you're doing your show, because you've kind of gone from, you've gone from school, military to schooling, to studying, to entrepreneurship, the podcast, you're trying to help people. It feels like across all platforms, what do you find to be the one platform that gives you, you the most that gives you back the most? Oh, leaps and bounds by far the podcast. Um, It's the best thing ever. It still blows my mind. It blows my mind that you and I are here having this conversation and it's, I mean, it's a conversation not to downplay it. Like humans, we should have more conversations with each other, but the fact that this is a thing (laughs) <laughs> the fact that this isn't just, you know, oh, like I picked up a hobby podcast, which if you have a podcast hobby, cool. That's great. I'm not downplaying it. But like the fact that this is a thing that mm-hmm. serves us personally, professionally, and others at the same time blows my mind. Um, and, and the whole reason, quick little backstory, how and why I got started podcasting. Yes, please. I was at the time living in Washington, D.C. I had just about or I was getting promoted um in this concierge medical practice. And uh, I was traveling a lot more. I was traveling, covering our offices in DC, up and down the East coast. And somebody recommended, Hey, you should check out this podcast. Like most people back in 2015, I was like, what the hell is a podcast? (laughs) Um, And they're like, you know, it's that app that's already on your phone, that purple thing, just go ahead and tap it. And there's a wealth of information for free. 
was like, no shit. Um, so I found this podcast and I started listening to them in my commutes, just, you know, hours and hours of information that I would immediately go into my practice. And I was that much better of a health coach. I was that much better uh, of, of everything. And I either had new information to share with my team and my clients, my patients, or I had a very, very timely brand new current resource to share with them to, to, for them to kind of dive into themselves. And then this light bulb went off. I was like, hell, if I'm learning so much doing it or listening, what if I was actually doing it? So I was like, let me figure out how to do this podcast thing, started mine. And I did it so that I could get better at my job to get better at helping people immediately. Because how valuable is it to sit down with somebody for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, who is an author, an influencer, uh, exercise physiologist, who's just an expert or leader in whatever field it is that you are obsessed with or curious with or you're working with, and to just learn from them, to learn from their experiences, to have that direct connection to the source. Um, and it just blew my mind. And it still blows my mind that now this is what you know I, I do full time. And um, it, it's just the most fulfilling. Like you said, it serves me the most. I sit down and have a conversation and my cup runneth over. I feel so full. I feel so educated, so informed, so connected um, because it does more than just give me content. It gives me and helps me develop meaningful relationships and developing and maintaining and nurturing meaningful relationships hands down have been the saving grace in my life, in my business, yielding new opportunities, not feeling alone to know who I can go to to, hey, sit down, Chase, let's do, let's do some breath work, let's hug it out. Like, these are the people that are in my lives for a long, long time. And it just blows my mind that this is a thing. Yeah, it's about building relationships. And I, I can remember, I can, my, my mom tells me this all the time. She's like, you're a grade four teacher. You used to be like, she talks a lot. Just let her talk. <laughs> She'll do something with it. And it's really crazy yeah. to think that this is a thing, that this is a, not just a thing, this is a tool, this is a, this is a way to help people. A platform. Oh my God. It's, it's spectacular. The amount of information that I've learned, like, frankly, there's a couple episodes um, that I literally, I use the protocol to help with my TBIs. Like I, I wouldn't have found it otherwise. Like the, the facility, my husband's down for his brain health. I wouldn't have found it without the podcast. Oh Yeah. I wouldn't have had, yeah. I wouldn't have had the connect. Like, I mean, the amount of, the amount of information and the platform, but just the community, I think that's something we don't really talk about enough is there is a community that is in this business. If you will, I'm air quoting again, just watch the episode. Just watch everybody. Just, just subscribe. Just do it. Just, just watch. watch it. But I think there's so much more to it. This community is no, unlike any other community I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you, you want, you know what I'm talking about What I'm trying to get to is there's no competition. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I ran into a few, uh, egos we'll say. Um, but in terms of like 9.9910 times out of 10, any kind of support in the podcast community, if I ask for it, I get it. And if somebody else asks for it, I give it. Right. Because if you're doing it and you're doing it, you're trying to make it serious. Of course, you want to give that person your time. That's my personal opinion. But you do see, I don't see, I don't, I've only, I mean, I've run into one ego so far, but I check those pretty fucking quick because there's no place for that here. We're really about community and unifying and growing and learning and being better. So if you're that person, I just don't have a conversation with you. It just doesn't go up. I love that. So I, 
it's that simple. So egos though, did you, when did you start dabbling in psychedelics? About a year and a half ago, it was um, like late summer, early fall, 2020. Okay. What brought you to that though? Cause that's a, for some people who, yeah, we're going to get into it. Cause mm. for some people that's a, that's a either, you know, I've never heard of psychedelics. They're frankly terrifying. The idea of going off into a spaceship somewhere freaks me out or lack of control. And then you get the other people who've always been like, oh, I've always dabbled. It's always yeah. been a part of my life. I've always been uh, on a rocket ship. It's really? fine. <laughs> you know, exactly. for, for me, it was, um, it was a culmination of a lot of things. And I'm not special in saying this. During the middle of 2020, summer, fall 2020, the, the thick of lockdowns and all this stuff going on in the world, especially here for me in Los Angeles, you know, we had heavy lockdowns. and just, You're like us. Yeah. I mean, you know, we also went through like riots and protests and fires. And I, a little bit of a tangent. I remember I was first living downtown LA um, when all the lockdowns started, when all the protests and, and riots started literally right around from my building, things were happening. And I would go on my morning walk the next day. And I was walking through downtown LA, right next to Humvees, right next to armed soldiers, right next to not ideal. And, and exactly not ideal, but the most eerie thing in the world, because I, I was on this side of it now. Like mm -hmm. I remember being that person and now to be on the other side of it, it was just it's like, what is life? What is happening? Like I, it's a whole, a whole other story, but it, it was very confusing and very calling at the same time to chase, like you really need to face some things right now. You need to get very radical with yourself and very radical with, you know, just look at the world, look at your environment. Now, now is a time when you, you should, and you must make decisions to, to serve you and your family and also a layer of protection. Um, it was just, a face-to-face -face moment with reality that I never thought I would have to kind of have. And I think a lot of people felt that way um, of what's going on in the world. Am I safe? Uh, am I questioning this? What's right? What's wrong? What's up? What's down? Um, and so all of that was happening. And psychedelics have kind of been on the radar. Um, me personally, before I'll try like any a supplement or any kind of anything, really, I kind of have to, you know, the curiousness in me is there, but also the scientist in me is there. And I have to kind of study it, I have to examine it, I have to look at papers, I have to talk to people. And, you know, I, I have my own approach to this stuff. And I was doing that psychedelics were kind of on my radar, and I was studying it a little bit more and becoming more curious. Um, but that plus with COVID, and I at also that moment was just kind of finally refacing a lot of things with my own PTSD, uh, processing, going through a lot of trauma work. And so I was just kind of at this boiling point again of emotions of up and down, left and right, right and wrong, because so many things that I believe to be true for my own life and for the world, I was watching become untrue. I was watching the line of, of good and evil, right and wrong, black and white become so confusing, at least to me and what was going on in my world at the time, I quite literally was questioning everything. And not in like a, oh my God, my world is falling apart. The fiber of my existence is becoming unthreaded, but of just, huh. Like if I used to think this, but that's happening, is that right? Is it wrong? Or do I need to kind of reevaluate here? And so it was just all of that. I, I give that kind of backstory 
to, to say I had an opportunity present itself and I felt like everything I just described, it's like my life flashed before my eyes. And in about half a second, I said, fuck it. And I just took a pill. Um, and I was, I was in an environment where I felt first and foremost, very, very safe. Uh, it was MDMA. And, setting. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was, I was, I felt very, very safe. I mean, it was like a recreational, technically a party scene, but it was very, very, very safe. I knew everybody. Oddly enough, most of the people there were uh, doctors, pharmacists, anesthesiologists. Uh, so I was like, if any, if my fear around doing something like this is medical related, this is the best place for it. Um, and, um, and so I did it and I had, I had my very first experience with an ego death. And I, that night I had this insane, incredible breakthrough, um, with my wife, this, this kind of thing that I thought was her thing turns out it was my thing. And like my own ego getting in the way, it's just this one recurring dumb argument. And I just broke down. I broke down and I just, I looked at her and I started crying. I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I get it. Like I am under, I understand how my own shit is actually the problem here. And, uh, and that just blew my mind. It blew my mind that I had an experience that didn't, it wasn't unsafe. It wasn't like, I mean, I could have gone to Skid Row, but it, it literally wasn't Skid Row. It wasn't like all these things that my family and, and you know, I grew up Southern Baptist religious family. Oh, like, dear. Yeah. So like, if you ever look at a drug, you will become a crack whore and burn in hell and die and, you know, never live a meaningful life kind of thing. And I was like, none of that happened. Every person here is extremely successful, um, very safe. Nothing happened. And also the biggest payoff for me was. I had this realization, this breakthrough on the other side that solidified even more my relationship with my wife. And to this day, a year and a half later, that thing has never come up again. That, that argument, that thing has never even been a blip on our radar. And for me, that was so meaningful. I, was like, I had this experience that changed my life, changed my relationship for the better. And it wasn't just a one-off thing. It has stayed then how can this be wrong, at least for me? And so that made me even more curious. And I, um, like the next, like two weeks later, I had my first psilocybin experience. And then I had many more psilocybin experiences and MDA, MDMA experiences afterwards. Uh, I'll honestly say all were recreational, but all were extremely intentional. Um, and I would have a, you know, a couple of little mini trips in psilocybin and I would have extreme profound experiences working through quite literally face-to-face -face with my father again, literally face-to-face -face with all the suppressed emotions and traumas and feelings and just finally being able to connect to that younger version of myself and have conversations with younger Chase to allow him finally the permission and the container to feel those things that he was not feeling or felt he was unsafe to feel years ago. And what I would experience in a, a 30 minute hour, two hour long, you know, trip or experience, I felt like, I felt like those, those were the years of therapy that I should have been doing. And maybe the years of therapy I was kind of off and on about. Uh, and yeah, it's just, and then I had a couple, I've had three clinical ketamine assisted psychotherapy sessions. I've never done ketamine recreationally, 
Um, I've always done it with therapy in a facility and um, most profound experiences of my life. And I, I, I'll wrap this all up in a bow of saying with psychedelics, I had my own process for going about them. I had my own approach. And I think it's very, very important should anybody choose to do the same. Um, it, it was this calling for me. It was this calling of, well, if nothing else is seemingly working or I'm trying so many other areas, but I feel like I'm just hitting a wall, hitting a wall, or there is this, this wall around me that I just can't break through for whatever reason. Um, it called to me and I answered and set and setting are absolutely crucial. Um, knowing the source, knowing the people, knowing everything, absolutely crucial. It's everything you could ever imagine, but yet nothing like you could ever imagine. Um, <laughs> it's ineffable. It's ineffable and so personal. Um, but just to know that like you've had one and I've had one, it's just this immediate bond, immediate connection. And uh, it has helped me so, so much that I have then been able to, you know, I share it in my content. I share it on the podcast. And uh, Kelsey, when I tell you, seven years now, seven years of being on the internet, doing social media stuff in a YouTube, Instagram podcast, nothing, nothing has ever gotten me this much engagement, questions, direct messaging, uh, like, hey, me too, like love and support, mm -hmm. like when I share my psychedelic experiences. Yeah, you're not wrong. I, I, I did an episode on, on someone's show. It's, um, it's not currently there right now, but I did an episode on someone's show and it, it hits so fucking hard. The, it was the first I, I opened, I was incredible. I'm pretty vulnerable. I just talk about it. I don't care. I have no issue just giving everyone everything because mm -hmm. I think there's a reason why I've been given an opportunity and a platform and I've been, it's, 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 it's the beginning of it, but it's something that's resonating. So I have no issue being incredibly vulnerable about myself. And I, I spoke very earnestly about you know, psychedelics and my first experience and then my second and then all of the ones in between. But what I saw, how I saw it, how I wrote it down, how it came out, how it manifested, how it how it changed my life and literally spun me in another direction. And the outpouring of of need for education. Where do I go? How do I do this? I've tried X, Y and Z. Nothing works. It is unlike anything I've ever experienced. It is, there is a true need for healing. And I do believe my, my heart of hearts, it's going to be through psychedelic assisted therapies. I'm not, and I'm very careful to say this where I, and I also very much believe psychedelics are not healthy for everyone. I agree. Yeah. I think there's definitely a conversation that needs to be had there with people where, you know, if you're on SSRIs, if you're bipolar, if you're schizophrenic, there are things that can bring on onset things. Any you cardiovascular know. disease, particularly for things like ketamine, like are big red flags. Yeah, absolutely. And those are so important to acknowledge. And the, I, I, I struggle when I see individuals not willing to acknowledge that because there, there's not a one size fits all. That's why you have people who are treatment resistant, who cannot move past something because they've tried X, Y, and Z. I'm one of those individuals who's quite treatment resistant. <laughs> I think it's because I'm very stubborn and my cells are as well. Mm. So when I found when I found Heroic Hearts and I got the opportunity to go sit with Aya, that was my first 
real psychedelics experience. I didn't do MDMA. I'm actually, I was supposed to go this month and do um, my first MDMA ceremony. I'm really shamanistic in, in, in how I want things to be done. It cannot be in a medical setting. Ketamine in a medical setting makes me nervous and sweat. And the idea of being around a doctor gives me like, <laughs> ha, 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 no, can't do it. Well, I have a special little like clause on that. So, um, this clinic, I actually, they're based out of Canada, uh, field trip health. They have okay. one in Toronto. Um, imagine the most Zen serenity meditation, mindfulness, yoga studio. Okay. You could ever imagine you go do ketamine there. Okay. Um, that's a different thing then. And the kicker for me was, um, I'm so excited about this is my wife actually, she's the one who injected me. So my wife is a family nurse practitioner. She, yes, she is. just so happens to be the family nurse practitioner and clinic manager at their LA location here. So my ketamine is an LA location. Yeah. Yeah. They have, they're all over the world, actually. Uh, ketamine, they're in uh, Toronto, Chicago, Houston, San Diego, LA. They have one in Amsterdam, but they're based out of Canada. What about Vancouver? I, I don't know, but look them up. Field trip health. Okay, and, um, but then, yeah, for me, it was a whole extra layer of, of safety and, and set and setting because my wife was the one running it. So she runs the LA office here. And so it was so funny. She came with me. She's like, she injected me in the arm. She said, all right, have a nice trip, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love so, that so yeah, much. So, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's psychedelic assisted therapy, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy integration. I, I think to really bring it full circle here, what that really hits home for me about is, is, is transition and where we were talking earlier about losing so many people um, into the gray, into the mist, and quite unfortunately, losing them in life and transition from military to civilian again, transition, integration, this assisted aspect of, of psychedelics, I think is also where we get the opportunity to save a lot of people because we're integrating and transitioning them into it. We're doing the work before the work, you know, for example, with field trip, uh, there are certain, certain conversations, certain therapies, certain amount of therapies and, and work you have to do with your therapist and yourself, or you even get to the medicine. And then you have, you have your meta, you have the medicine, you have your ketamine trip, and then you have integration afterwards immediately. Then you have a follow-up. And that is exactly this, this, this modality, this, this model that I love that I, I think needs to serve the veteran community as well. I mean, how, even for example, my first two sessions were group trips with oh. a small military group um, that that field trip provides. And, you know, there are a lot of great military organizations that do that for, you know, low cost or no cost. And I did it with a group. Um, just was me and like one other guy and then another guy kind of auditing, we'll say. Um, but I mean, so there are opportunities. And I think doing things together like that, especially for the veterans, you could have a great experience on your own, but to do it with your brothers with your sisters to kind of have that cohesion back again and to go through an experience like that because what is probably the most defining aspect of veterans it's knowing that you have gone through the same or not very very similar experience it's that automatic understanding automatic trust to know that i'm walking into a room kelsey if we walked into a room and never met each other and like i know you're a veteran i'm a veteran we have this immediate level of trust of right of who you are, your integrity, if shit hits the fan, like you're going to know. 
And yeah. there's that same level going into this unknown territory of psychedelics. Imagine going in with somebody you were in a foxhole with, or hell, even just somebody you went to boot camp with. There's this automatic knowing and trust that is unparalleled. It is. And and that's exactly what it is. Because the same, when I got that opportunity, it was the, I've never done uh, drugs. I don't want to do drugs. Uh-huh, uh, I'm doing uh-huh. them. I'm going to do them. I'm doing What's them because I need to. Say? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, fuck that. No, yeah. I don't care. Please. My parents would never. That was, that was me. That was me. I know. Yeah. I was, listen, I was, I was, um, I was baptized. I was Catholic school. I mm. was religion class. I was shoved down the throat. And then I went to the military and was like, that's not real to me. <laughs> and then I found, I found I lost all faith. I did. I lost faith in anything like that. And psychedelics is what brought it back in me because I always knew I was a little different. I always knew that I believed in, I would hear voices, not hear voices, shut up. You know what I'm saying? But I would hear and see things that other people couldn't see. And I would try to have these conversations with grown adults and they'd be like, you're just seeing things, sweetie. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. There's a little girl that sits at the end of my bed and she clicks all the time. Like you don't understand. So I would go tune on a totally different energetic level. It was really uncomfortable my whole life. And then when I found, when I, when I got the chance to go, what was really great about what you said is there was a ton of integration conversation, but it was with a veteran group only. So all 10 of us, there was no gray manning. And it wasn't like I was with people who had never served. These were stone stone cold, like alphabet soup, purple heart, badasses. And I walked into this room thinking to myself, I don't fit in here. I I don't think I'll be able to converse with them well. And I end up leaving with an entire family, a family that, that would, would, would murder for me, would do anything for me. And I would do the same for them. And I did not have that for from 2011 until when did I do? So January of last year, I had no community. Wow. I had no one that I felt I could lean on or call or be there or have conversations like face melting conversations that a civilian would go, I need to call the cops. You make me really unsettled. Like, you know, those types of things, psychedelics, they give you so much more. And it's the integration into life afterwards, the reintegrating you into your life. It can be tricky at first because you've now witnessed and seen the mountaintop I'm quoting again, but you've seen it. And to articulate that to others is difficult because they might not get it. They may not fully understand. And, And that's okay too. But what else it gave me was not only an ego death, but it gave me a place where I know I can go and reconnect with something bigger than myself that, that brought me back to that, the thing that I lost in the military, which was them and me, yeah, you yeah. versus me. It brought me back to, we're all together. Us. We're all unified. It's an us situation. It's for the greater we. Uh, I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so happy for you. And, and I can relate again. It's this completely ineffable experience, but knowing that we both had it, like, we know, you know, yeah. you um, know, you know, you know, but I will say this to kind of, so there's that aspect, but for another curious person, maybe like myself, who is un- wanting to understand more of like the physiological manifestations, mm-hmm. um, first and foremost, with a lot of things like ketamine, for example, is an FDA approved drug, at least here in the United States, you know, and all over, um, it's extremely safe, uh, under right. the right conditions, of course. Um, MDMA also is being studied, being treated for PTSD, depression, extremely safe under the right setting, the right dose and everything. 
psilocybin again same thing but what's so unique about these things is that like neurologically we can study we can look there is no um addiction response mm -hmm. people can get hooked on the experiences and like oh let me go one more let me go one more kind of thing sure but you know especially my kind of affinity is with psilocybin and like it just doesn't lock in the brain if you can't use it you can't become addicted like alcohol or you know other drugs you can't get addicted to it because it works so synergistically in our system. And another case in point here is like the physiological aspect, it, it promotes healing, it promotes wellness. I went on a psilocybin microdose protocol last summer. Mm, um, great. 165 milligrams, coupled with okay. some other functional herbs, adaptogens, like lion's mane, cordyceps, vitamin, yep. vitamin D, a lot of other like things that you can just go to Whole Foods and buy. Um, and I did this protocol two days on, one day off for a month. So one capsule, 165 milligrams, two days on, one day off for a month. Empty and stomach? not only on empty stomach, yeah, I tried everything. I tried empty stomach. I tried with food, without food. For me, my personal favorite was um, actually with this coffee I'm drinking now, shout out Strong Coffee. It's got a little bit of calories. So it's got collagen, MCTs, coconut water extract, L-theanine. Yeah. So it's, it, but you know, good organic coffee. So you got the caffeine aspect, you got these other things that are going to provide a little bit of sustenance in there. The best thing in the world for me was strong coffee with the dose with the psilocybin capsule. Um, and so not only did I have a month of just insane productivity and focus, and I could, I could downshift upshift, I could really be in the driver's seat of my mind and my body in ways that I never thought possible. Um, and it's such a small dose, you're not tripping, you're not doing no. any of this stuff. Um, but was so cool. What was so cool was, so I track here, I use a whoop device, a wearable a physical activity tracker. I want to ask you about that because that's something I'm, I was looking into as well. So continue. Well, I apologize. Love, love it. Love it. And so I, I had it on a, about a year and a half at that point of just daily data, of daily wellness, sleep, recovery, training, What blew my mind the most was my whoop data, particularly my recovery, my resting heart rate, my respiratory rate, and my uh, heart rate variability, three key biomarkers for overall wellness, longevity, stress reduction, recovery, everything. These are all really good biomarkers to pay attention to. And if you can optimize, you're in smooth sailing, particularly my HRV, which is one of the biggest ones increased 40%, which is a holy shit, 40%. My HRV on a high day, maybe a high was like 60 something was consistently getting 120s, 140s, and still is up there. So I was having such insane, positively insane emotional and mental and spiritual experiences and, and workflow and everything. But physiologically, like that was honestly, when I started sharing that data um, publicly was what was blowing people's minds the most and getting them more curious about wait, maybe there's something more to this. Like you can use something at such, even such a small dose, not have these trippy psychedelic experience and it actually benefits you like that, like tell me more. And so my HRV jumped 40% in three, four weeks and has stayed elevated. Um, and it, it's been mind blowing. It's been incredible. I, I love hearing that. So, so like beyond I, I do, um, I'll, I'm going to hook you up with them. I think they'd be great for you to know there's in Canada with, there's a panel, um, and these amazing people in nonprofit called Theracil. And they fight for the compassionate rights for Canadian to use psilocybin in therapeutic setting and end of life. And it, um, they literally are about to sue the Canadian government in tomorrow. 
Wow. They had they had until they had until tomorrow to respond. They blanket denied a bunch of um, practitioners, and so they came back with this anyway. Long and short. Spencer and them over there are doing some insanely incredible work with, with psilocybin and, and just really ground changing the way that they look at healing and end of life and anxiety and all of that. And, and psilocybin is is, the microdose is such an effective way to get people slowly on, onto the psychedelic path, but the, to show them the healing, like the power behind this, the science behind this, the, the biomarker changes, those things are so key when you're dealing with number one athletes, when you're dealing Mm -hmm. with people who want to just better themselves, they want to have data points. They need to have data points. It's across the board. The the more data you can have on the physiological things that happening within your body, when something goes haywire, oh my God, it's 10 times easier to figure out the pattern because you can see the blood work go ping, 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 ping. And I'm a big proponent of that. I mean, my God, we do blood work every three months. We, mm. you know, we do the inside tracker. We do, we Brady's down at the, you know, we do everything. We do all the markers. We do, we do the gamut. The whoop strap though is interesting to me because mm. I knew some people in the supercross world that, that the fuck with the whoop strap. Can you tell me how that'd be beneficial for people? Because again, people are looking for tools mm. on this show. Can you talk about that? So the whoop is a physical activity tracker, much like, you know, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm double dipping. So I got my Apple watch on my left. Almost there. <laughs> I got my whoop on the right. Hell, I even, uh, even dabble with the smart bed. Um, there you so, go. So I love these. We live in such a great time to where we can have access at home to on-demand information about what is going on with us mentally or even emotionally, um, which I'll get into actually emotions and the whoop. So it's this band, but you put it on like with any wearable device, with anything really, you, you want to get some preliminary data. So it's going to track things, you know, for a few days if not even, I, I think their turnaround time is like, they want to ideally say the first 28 days is just gathering data, getting your baseline, you know, um, blood oxygen content, pulse oximeter, resting heart rate, HRV, sleep, training, recovery. So it's, it has a couple of main pillars and that's um, uh, strain, sleep, and recovery. And so it measures recovery through respiratory rate, resting heart rate, HRV, plus your sleep. So I wear this thing 24 seven, I wear it to bed, I wear it to the gym. So it, measure, it measures activity, it measures sleep cycles, it measures everything and kind of lets you know on a number scale percentage in red, yellow, green, how primed are you to really go after it, to push hard, to like train hard or just exert energy? Or maybe do you need more of a rest day, more recovery day? Here's your sleep you know, duration versus sleep quality. There has been nothing I've used in the 16, 17 years now of becoming more aware of my well-being and on my wellness journey as the Whoop device, because it's just an immediate tool. So it's very, very sleek. It just, it's rest, rest right here on my wrist. And then I use the, the app to kind of like give data in a second glance. I can just look at my home screen there and go, all right, Chase, need to chill today or time to kick it into gear and get after it. Um, it's just incredible. It's just so many other ways to dissect it. And there's a lot that you can dive into with it, which is great. It can be as much or as little as you want. I mean, I can get full detailed week long, month long reports, or I can just look at the number and immediately make a decision of how hard I want to push or, Hey, Chase, you need to kind of rest and digest more today. It's just the best guiding tool I've experienced. And you, I've been following you for a bit and I saw your, you're training differently now and you're, you're starting a regimen of testosterone by the sounds of what I'm seeing. Yeah, I'm in week two now. 
So the reason I bring that up, I think it's so, I digress. Were you an athlete before the military? Did you play football, any sort of I played baseball from like T-ball through like first year of high school and uh, two years of lacrosse. So the reason I bring that up is because, you know, as we age, things change and drop off. But I think something that I am just currently learning um, and the severity of it when, when it goes haywire is testosterone in men as they age and head injuries and blast wave and and post-concussive, the testosterone drops off and men like they've never seen before. And it's a chronic hormone imbalance. There's a a doctor named Dr. Mark Gordon who has these conversations regularly about, he believes, and I'm, I'm trying to misquote him, not that PTSD doesn't exist, but he believes that PTS and PTSD is an inflammatory issue in the brain. And it is a hormone issue and a hormone imbalance. And when you check, I'm going to totally blah, fuck everything up. My point is there are biomarkers and there are markers when you're looking at your hormones and you're looking at your inflammation markers Mm. and they directly correlate frequently with post-concussive syndrome, PTS, PTSD, and people that are dealing with psychological issues around high stress situations. And so then I saw you going on to testosterone and I was curious about what that was about. Yeah. So for me to kind of keep going with the optimization, the, Mm -hmm. I would say biohack, I I don't think I'm a biohacker. I'm, I'm just curious about how can I get data points on my physiological, mental, emotional, spiritual state. Um, both through quantitative measures and qualitative. So what can I use to actually test it, such as a wearable or get a panel or go get an EEG, some kind of like tangible experience or practices and modalities I can introduce to just become more aware and to to drop into myself to allow that natural biofeedback to happen. So quantitatively and qualitatively, that's what I'm always after. And so I recently went like a couple months ago, like two months ago, got my annual physical. I got my labs and, you know, I'm 36 and I wanted to get a little bit more extensive lab panel. So I got a few extra things just to kind of make sure I'm on the right path and everything's looking pretty good. And particularly my testosterone and I actually just pulled up my lab results again. Speaking of it, um, my total is 569. The range is about 264 to 916. So I'm like within range. Um, my percentage free testosterone is 2.83 within a range of 1.5 to 4.2. So that was my, to- my next question. My total test is within air court here. Healthy range is normal. Again, what the hell is normal ranges, but my f- percent free testosterone is on the lower side. And um, so I was just curious, you know, if, if they're saying, hey, your labs, your, t- your testosterone overall, like there's no need for concern, you're overall, you know, otherwise a healthy guy, you're good. Well, I don't want to accept good. Uh, I'm curious, you know, if... Like I said, my my total was um, 569. What if for me, like what what is 600? Right. What what, what is 579? You know, for me and my body and my lifestyle and my training and what I want out of my my personal wellness is just a few points more. Is that going to change my life? Is that going to improve my recovery? Am I going to get even better sleep? Am I going to feel like you never know how good you feel until you feel good. And I feel pretty damn good all the time, but I know over the years that has leveled up through just little tweaks. Hell, even just getting consistent sleep has been a game changer. Um, so I was just, yeah, you know, let me test it out, pun intended. Let me let me get a test cycle in 
I, I got a very trusted source and, you know, again, my wife is a family nurse practitioner. So like, she's kind of overseeing it here. Um, and I'm just curious because I want to see if that number goes up, what is it going to do for other biomarkers, what it's going to do for my, my you know, overall sense of well-being. But, you know, like I said, you know, I'm in my mid late getting into late thirties now, and my training has changed a little bit. And I'm noticing that the same amount of work doesn't yield the same amount of results, particularly in muscle mass preservation. And even in my attempts to build more muscle tissue, um, it just takes more work. And so I'm a pretty regimented guy. E5, probably 80, 85% of my life, my training, my days, my diet is damn near the same shit. And um, like, hmm, I would like some different results, please. Uh, you know, what can I do? What, what is my body telling me maybe it needs a little help with? And I'm curious to see what testosterone is going to do for me in those, those areas. I'd be curious to see what it does for you psychologically as well, though, right? Any of the PTSD mm. and PTSD symptoms, it's, it's the very, very often it, there are massive markers for um, hormone imbalances that we don't test for. Most doctors will not test for, especially in Canada. Canada doctors will not test or run certain panels on you across the board. We had to do it. Yeah. We had to do almost a year of our literal own medical research, finding doctors, having conversations, paying for private medical because our system doesn't, they just don't bare minimum. How do we keep you alive so that we can mm. say we have healthcare. <laughs> it's, it's real yeah, cute. Yeah, it's fine. You gotta, you got, sometimes you, that's the thing is it's a bummer for, for everyday people. It's a bummer for I, what I think we deserve as, as humans, but I'm also not naive to the fact that there is a system in place that there are, you know, checks and balances that things are a struggle to, you know, it's a larger, that's a larger conversation yeah. on a grander scale. But that being said, you know, having, because of your system in the United States, the way that you guys do medical, I mean, that's a, it's brilliant for us. If you can pay for it, you can go and get it done right now. There's no questions about it. And so and there's so much more research happening in, in this field and in, in the brain and mental health and how they all correlate with one another and, and past experiences with, with head injuries and things like that. Or like you said, just having PTS or PTSD, those are, those are monumental changes you can make in the body. If you understand the body well enough, or you have, you have enough data points to go off of. So things like going down to the States, like I said, Dr. Mark Gordon is a, He's got an amazing protocol. He works with NFL athletes um, and has gotten people from, you know, can't remember the sentence they just told you to, to like fully functioning and to incredible humans. So wow. it's pretty magical to see people studying it the way that they are. And it's really nice to see people like you taking it seriously, not just working out and taking pictures of yourself and saying, I work out because I think there's so much more we should care about than yeah. just what our physical physique looks like. If our minds can be well the mind body connection. If you can be well all around the things that you can achieve, the things that you can do and you can thrive with. And it's, it's you that gives tools. It's, it's your platforms gives I'll say layman tools, but you break it down. So individuals can really digest it and grab hold of the information that they feel is you know pertinent to them. And they can really take it and adapt it and move it into their lives to make them better. And I think that's, what's, what's kind of great about you is you put your money where your mouth is, you say what you do and, and you do it in a way that is healthy, well thought out. It is, um, science-based. It is not just anecdotal. And I think that you're going to continue to not only grow, but you're going to continue to, to help. And I think that's at the end of the day, that's all that you ever wanted to do. And 
the fact that you have that purpose is a really beautiful thing to me. And I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you take the time to do the work that you do. Cause that shit's not easy to understand. Mm. No, it's not. It's mm. not easy, but I think it's our, our most important, if not one of our most important tasks as human beings is, you know, we're, the fact that we're even here is like a something in some trillion right. chance, you know? So like own that, but respect it. Mm-hmm. And part of that respect in, in ownership means a constant commitment to, to showing up, a constant commitment to understanding what makes me tick and how do I feel about those ticks. Um, understanding the here and the now, but you know, reevaluating the past, not to, to stay stuck or to ruminate on it like many of us often do. And that's a part of your journey, of course. I've been there. But like, we have tools, innate tools, that can teach us things by just being still long enough to see what hurts, what feels good. When do I show up my best? When do I show up my worst? And then all these other things we're talking about, wearables, uh, blood panels, you know, all these other amazing devices and biomarker tests and everything. It's just, we live in an opportunity. We live in a day and age where the opportunities are really limitless. um, If we choose to respect and take ownership of this human experience And I, you know, still to this day, I still feel like a part of me is absolutely honestly driven by fear of what I saw my father go through. But what I've been able to do is to do the work associated to that fear, to disassociate from that fear and understand the real driving force there and to to own it. So now like I can have, I can understand and see the fear of maybe what might be pushing me to never get sick to never get hurt again, but I am no longer letting it be the driving force in my life. I am picking its power and I am choosing health. I am choosing quantitative and qualitative measures. I am choosing to look good, feel good, and to, to, to be good and to share good. All of these things matter equally. Um, and when, so when I choose to do that, respectively, I rise, I grow, I flourish. And then by just Doing that and then sharing that is what we all need more of in this world because then we see, I see you do it, Kelsey, and you see me do it. And we get to be the examples. We get to live our best lives and thrive and flourish and share those experiences so that others can see something in me and you that resonates so that they can then apply it, get that feedback and you know drive on in their own way. And that way we're just constantly, we're not imitating each other but we're understanding each other and we're applying things elevating that we find. we're elevating. Other. And when you do it, when I do it, when the person watching this does it, we're all doing it to our communities, everybody around it. So um, I, I received that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, that, that feedback. And, and honestly, what I'll say, what I think is one of the coolest things I've heard in a long time is that I hear that from people and it's, I want to sound cocky. Um, like, I hear that, you know, what I hear when you say that, Kelsey, is basically, I enjoy you living your life. And how you do it seems authentic and how you do it, I'm able to to connect with in something. So like, it gives you education, it gives you entertainment, it gives you connection. And when I hear that, that means that I'm on the right path. Because oh, yeah, when I'm doing things that serve me and can serve one other person in one other way at the same time, is the best thing and how liberating is it to know that 
the person watching, like you, you can just choose to live your life. You can choose to, to drop in to your mind, your body, your soul in ways to radically change your life or just give you a little bit of change here today. But by you doing so is going to give somebody else permission to do the same thing. And for me, that's, that's the ultimate, ultimate change that I'm after. Oh my God. You couldn't have ended that any better case. God damn. This is why I love interviewing other podcasters. <laughs> you know, it's so great. It's so amazing. No, oh you, my goodness. You make the space for it. So you, you, you bring it out. So I, I thank you. Well, hey, I'm I'm I I aim to please. I do I do the best that I can, and that's all I can ever ask of myself. If I'm doing it for the right reasons and I'm being honest and open, then 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 you can never fail. You can't fail, you know. So um can you tell everyone where they can find anything about you, your website, the show? Um, I know that you you have some stuff you're affiliated with. Just give everybody everything and I'll make sure to put it all in your bio as well. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so I, I do my show Ever Forward Radio. We put out two episodes a week, you know. And- YouTube, Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever. Uh, so I'm either podcast or radio or on Instagram at chase underscore tuning. Um, you can find it all. It's chase tuning.com or everforwardradio.com. I'll take it all the same place and uh, you can connect with me there. Amazing. Okay. Well, we'll make sure to, to link everybody up and, and, and get everybody going towards you because I think that you're just going to continue to put out content. That's not only going to help individuals, but it's going to help them better their lives, which in turn will better the lives of those around them. And I think that is the key, right? Small incremental steps, make the biggest things, be the shockwave, be the light in the room Mm -hmm. for people. And it gives them the opportunity to to believe that they can do it as well. And so I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for your time. You stick with me. Everyone else, we'll send you over there. Check out the Thank bio and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. 